Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say welcome. We are now halfway through our exploration of Virtually Church. And if you've not already, we would suggest you go back and listen to the first four episodes before listening to this one. We'll be using a lot of terms that may not be familiar to you, and it may be helpful if you hear our previous episodes before listening to this one. That being said, we're very excited for our guest this week. Reverend Dr. Matt Vandegrift is the senior pastor at Kirkwood Baptist Church. Prior to St. Louis, Matt served churches in Texas and Mississippi. Matt did his undergraduate work at Mississippi College, went to George W. Truett Theological Seminary, and earned an MDiv in 2006. In 2016, Matt returned to Truett and completed a Doctor of Ministry degree with a focus on preaching and spiritual formation. Matt currently lives in St. Louis, Missouri with his spouse and three children who are all adjusting to the life during the coronavirus. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Matt, that's that's a great bio. Sounds like you've been up to stuff. And uh, so you've got the the family at home, only four years in a new state, and coronavirus. We've honestly whined a lot so far on this podcast about how much work virtual season has been for us. And we've got a lot of our listenership is a lot of clergy and a lot of church folks. And so I have to ask, are you okay? <laughs> I Yeah, it, that's a great question. And I always answer this question in two ways. On the one hand, I say, you know what? Look, I'm healthy. My family is fine. I'm able to work. Um, I'm actually in the office today. I'm able to socially distance and all of those sorts of things. Um, and at the same time, I was preparing to go on sabbatical in May. And so obviously that didn't happen. And, and yes, I do feel this, um, this fatigue at times around, um, it, it feels like a hamster wheel and we're going nowhere. Um, in fact, for some of us, we keep trying to open the doors uh, of the building and then we're having to close them again. And so um, that is wearying. Um, I, re- I reach out to a lot of different clergy as well who seem to be in the same boat, the energy uh, that you bring for a worship service where no one is physically attending, um, it, it drains over time. So yeah. overall, I'm, I'm very well, um, but I would much rather be doing what I was doing, say, March 8th than what we're doing today. Our big idea about this podcast is to think more deeply about the differences in values between church and technology. Uh, we're trying to articulate that technology itself has its own values, um, like efficiency, efficacy, convenience. And the church also has its own values, too. Um, in episode three, we talked about uh, viewing the church through the lens of kingdom ethics and the kingdom of God. And some of those values would be peace, love, forgiveness. So that's kind of where we're structuring and we're exploring this as a podcast. And today we're excited to kind of talk to you, Matt, as a senior pastor. Yeah. So Matt, I know you've been following along with our podcasts, listening along. Um, And I'm wondering how 
this distinction of values, if it has or how it has changed the way that you've thought about doing church during the pandemic? And I guess I'll start by asking a little more specifically, how has your church been using technological platforms during COVID? And what values do you see that enabling or disabling for you? Yeah, I, uh, I, I want to say thank you first to uh, Dr. Bishop for giving that language of uh, enabling and disabling, because I didn't have that. It was, it was really insightful. Um, we are using YouTube Live to stream our worship services, uh, our worship service, I should say, uh, doing things like a hymn sing through that as well. We're using Zoom for Bible studies and all of our meetings, uh, those, those platforms. And those have been helpful uh, in that we can have uh, a reasonable facsimile of face-to-face contact. We've also gone low-tech on some things. I'm getting more letters and notes than I would have gotten at other times. Uh, We, at the very beginning of this, on the pastoral staff, we divided the congregation into four sections and called every single um, family in the church just to check in on them and those sorts of things. So we're utilizing everything we can to stay connected with people But it is interesting having um, talked to a few people about, let's say, worship, for example. Um, There are a lot of people who really like the online format of worship. They like like staying in their pajamas. They like being able to go pause maybe and then walk into the kitchen, grab a snack, extra cup of coffee, something like that. Um, You don't have to brush your teeth. You don't have to take a shower. You should still uh, you do have- that. If you're listening, you should brush your teeth every so often. <laughs> but honestly, but, and shower, some of our folks never have. Some of our folks have never <laughs> brushed their teeth or taken a shower. And uh, a lot of our folks have gotten up to get that cup of coffee in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I was joking with someone on Sunday morning about that. And, you know, they said, look, if we could put a little coffee station right over here in the sanctuary, that would be great. Those kinds of things. And and that value of convenience, uh, while on the one hand, I understand it, it, it certainly is nice to be able to not have to uh, get all the kids together and out the door and on time for Sunday school. And it's so nice to be able to open a screen, click on the Zoom link, uh, turn off your video, because you're probably going to go back to sleep at some point during that, at least for our youth. And uh, and it is convenient. It's also nice that it's portable. You know, you can take it wherever you want to go. If you have some errands to run and uh, you don't want to miss worship, you just bring it along on your phone. You can listen to it, all those sorts of things. But it's also difficult because convenience has, for me, sort of a slippery slope here. Hmm. We are, we're in a culture that values convenience. We want convenience and we want efficiency. Uh, we want the ability to get everything we want as quickly as we want. So we have these food delivery services, for example, that can bring me a burrito all hours of the day, whether I need the burrito or not, so to speak. Well, if worship becomes just another commodity um, in in a buffet of commodity and entertainment options that are available, 
I think something's really lost there. And so we've been struggling as we think through this, hey, long term, what are the effects that this has on the congregation? Yes, it certainly is convenient to be able to click on a link or to tune in and and sit on my couch. But there are some things that that are being lost in that. Um, And it's not just the face-to-face interactions. I I think there's something lost in the building of of community bonds. Um, I think there's something lost in this idea of who is really pastoring you during this time. so we we are struggling through that. We have chosen at a couple of different points not to stream certain things. We are uh, discussing when we do finally open the doors and have in-person worship. Do we stream that while we're also trying to do a live stream on Sunday? What does that look like? And so there are a lot of things up in the air for us right now. Have you um, have you thought through making decisions? Uh, you you just mentioned a little bit about maybe doing some things that we haven't done virtually. Um, how are you making decisions on what to use and what not to use, even if it's technologically possible? I think sometimes in this world as ministers, so many things get brought to your table and like, look, now you can do this. Like we have a new technology that allows you to do this. You can check people in. You can do this and that. So now it makes things even easier for you. Are there some things that you've seen that is technologically possible, but you've decided not to do, or you've worked through or thought through that process? Yeah, we, we have been having this discussion uh, on staff and in the smaller pastoral group of just because it's possible, does that mean we need to do that? And, um, you know, I, I think there's a tendency uh, because, well, I can speak for myself. Uh, you, you want as many people to hear what you're proclaiming, um, to hear the gospel as possible. And so uh, I really identified with something Jeremy said in a previous podcast about 6,000 IP addresses uh, since they started streaming. Uh, there are more eyeballs on the screen than uh, now than we've ever had at Kirkwood Baptist Church. And for me, each of those screens, I count as at least double because I know in my house, there are four people who are watching at a time. So I feel like that's that's a generous estimate. So I, I see all these numbers come in about, this is how many people were watching the worship service or here was your, your peak moment. And, and here's where people came in afterwards. Um, even in that idea of coming in afterwards, though, is this idea of, well, you know, I decided I wanted to have like a late brunch and it wasn't convenient for me to tune into worship at 1030. So after, you know, a couple mimosas and, and a nice brunch, I decided to tune in about 1230 and, uh, and just watch the nice little worship service that you put together. And that idea of convenience, while it might um, widen our market share, there are some real flaws in that. Uh, As far as decisions, we haven't come to any final decisions, but uh, one of the associate pastors here made a great point and said, hey, look, 
um, why don't we look at in-person worship and online worship as two different things? So that when we're doing a worship service and we have, let's say, 25 people or 50 people in the sanctuary, that is the service right there. And we're not going to stream that. We're going to actually just focus in on the worshipers who are there, who are present on that day. And then we're going to also uh, do our normal, uh, well, new normal uh, COVID-19 online worship service. And, and that way, for church members who maybe don't feel as comfortable uh, coming in person or who are possibly at higher risk or, or for whatever reason, they choose not to be there, they still have that option because those two worship services really are two different worship services. The, the online worship service it feels different. It looks different. It doesn't even have all of the same elements that our in-person worship service does. So, so allowing those to be two distinct things, uh, I, I think, is really important to us. Uh, we also we had a, a, a memorial service a couple weeks ago, and we talked about, look, uh, we could stream this. It would make it available for people, but there were a lot of technical. Um, problems with that, not the least being, it's not as simple, streaming a service, as the three of you know, is not as simple as just turning on a camera and pressing play. (laughs) There are so many, uh, so many pieces of technology that are needed to do it, even at a baseline level. And so we just said, look, we're doing this memorial service, it's going to be outside, it's 90 something degrees on a parking lot. Uh, let's just let's just do the service. And, and we actually had a really large number of people show up for the memorial service. But we've had to make those kinds of decisions. Um, that isn't to say that we've never streamed a funeral before or and we've we were actually doing worship services uh, streaming, uh, we've been doing it for about a year already. I have a question about the, uh, the two streams idea of the in-person service and the online service being separate entities. Are you going to make separate churches? That see, that is actually my concern. We, um, I I think you, in some ways you are, uh, you know, I was, I've been toying with this idea of, uh, that's always been, well, I shouldn't say always, but probably for the last 10 years, that's been a, a constant struggle for me. And that's the idea that's somewhat popular right now about, look, I, I can be a Christian and I don't have to belong to a community. And this sort of anonymous Christianity. When I was in Houston, I was surrounded by uh, mega churches. Uh, I mean, churches that are yeah, a hundred thousand people. I mean, it's it's kind of a joke. And I didn't always understand the appeal for some of these really, really large churches where you could literally go in, not know anyone who's around you, uh, sit next to complete strangers, sing and worship, hear a, a sermon, and and then go from there. But I think that's somewhat the appeal, similarly, to online worship. And I would think about it in this way. 
if if I'm the pastor at Kirkwood Baptist Church, and let's say someone from Alaska decides to tune in and worship with us on a weekly basis, that's great. You know, they they come, they open up their computer, they worship, all those sorts of things. At the same time, one of the questions that is in my mind is, who is pastoring that person through all the different parts of life? So who's there with that person and praying with them when they're about to go into the hospital? Who is celebrating uh, the, the wonderful seasons of life that different people experiences, the, the birth of children, the start of a family, all of these sorts of things. And who's there at the end of life for that person to, to really honor and to remember them? There's also this. I, I was doing some sermon preparation this week, and so I'm not a person who, by the way, can just quote books off the top of my head. So don't... Uh, read anything into it, but Stanley Hauerwas has a commentary on Matthew, and I really appreciated what he wrote, that you really do have to have the community and people around you in order to grow in faith. Um, Christianity is not just an intellectual pursuit. It really is about community formation. It's about embodiment. It's about having these other people alongside me for the journey. And that doesn't mean people alongside me who think the exact same way I do. And one of my concerns in thinking about an online platform is what I tend to see in online situations is that we lean toward people who think, act, and talk the way that we already do. Um, I know that the algorithms from most social media platforms also guide us in that direction. Um, so they're taking in all this data and information about us and then showing us the things that are going to appeal to us. Um, I, I, I am concerned. I was concerned about two congregations, though, in the fact that we already had two in-person worship services. Mm. And, and at times, it already feels like there are two congregations. There's an so, 8 a.m. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I So what I'm hearing is that this, for you as a senior pastor and for someone guiding the church, the value of um, pastoral care is something that's extremely important. Uh, being present in the midst of uh, life changes from graduations to marriages to weddings to death to all the other things going on to you know surgeries the ability to walk alongside and bring the presence of Christ in those moments as a um, religious as a Christian figure as a pastor is something that's very important I'm also hearing the value of um, I don't know how you would describe the value of tension or the value of um, what help me out with some language about being together with people that you don't always agree with or connect with. I, I, that's yeah, always that's, been something. We need that pluralistic experience inside of our community to achieve any sort of authenticity. Who who am I doing? I'm doing someone right now. Who's that's a book. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm sh- Taylor. That's Charles Taylor, right? 
I um, think it's Jeremy Hall. No offense, Okay, Charles there we Charlie. go. Yeah, Taylor. that's that. So we're all <laughs> Halline scholars now. Um, yes. No, but we we need that tension to force us to grow. And it's it's a biblical idea too, right? Iron sharpens iron. You don't get better by yourself. Um, and if you're, and that's sort of Howard Wass's whole shtick is that you can't do Christianity, any piece of it mm-hmm. by yourself. Christian ethics happens in community. Christian formation happens in community. Christian spirituality happens in community. And so if you're disconnected from other believers, you've in a way lost your connection with the ground of being and what it means but, to be Christian. But, um, you know, many people are going to say, probably people listening on the podcast, they're going to ask the question and, and I'll get, I'll pass the question to Matt since he's our, our guest. I can connect with people on zoom. I can connect with people over FaceTime. Uh, we're calling each other. We're writing each other letters. We are commenting on the live feed on YouTube. So, you know, you're telling me like, isn't that a way of connection? Am I not connecting in that way? Yeah, I would say it is a form of connection. Um, I also wonder though, for a new person coming into that community, it's one thing to have an already established community that shifts into an online setting Mm. because you have already spent a lot of time building a relationship together. You've spent some time sitting in Sunday school with that person whose political posts on social media drive you up the wall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have spent some time singing in worship together uh, great songs of faith while knowing that that person voted for the candidate that you despise. And yet there's something that you can, that, that brings you together, which is the body of Christ. How do you bring people into that community when it's so easy to mute someone, when it's easy to dismiss them? And, and I'm guilty of it as well. So I don't, I don't, please don't hear me. I'm not saying this from a, uh, I, I, I had, I have to block people. I sometimes have to go you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm getting into the fray. Um, at the same time, I, I wonder how it how it develops long-term. I think mm-hmm. there's something about being able to, to see a person physically with you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a, a hybrid meeting where we did it partly online and partly in person, and it was a disaster. Nobody could hear each other, all of that. But there was something about being physically in the room with people that that really was meaningful. And when you're having to have difficult conversations, um, difficult conversations about, I really don't understand your viewpoint. Technology is great because it presents uh, an approximation of in-person worship. But I think that uh, uh, Dr. Bishop actually really pointed this out there's nothing it's not the same as talking one-on-one there is a a medium that you are using Mm -hmm. and let's all be honest we're a lot braver online than we are in person i I, we say things 
and we use tone in ways that we would never we would never do in person. And uh, well, I, maybe tone is the wrong word because I don't know that you can always read tone mm-hmm. through uh, through yeah. technology. It's more room um, for assumption of tone. Yeah, I mean, I you know, if I know this person on most points disagrees with me. I'm assuming they're still disagreeing and I misread their comments. I make a comment and it just continues to snowball. Um, so I, I do think that, that you can say, Hey, look for already established communities online, may be the, it's the only option we have right now where I'm serving. Mm-hmm. So it's the best we've got, but it's still not the best possible. And I think that's for me where, where I struggle um, because I think there is something about being together. So talking about uh, the best possible and and struggles uh, from our first episode, we had a pretty big debate from some listeners. Um, So Jordan, will you elaborate a little bit more on that for people? If they're, if they haven't listened to the first episode yet, or now that we have a pastor here, I have good friends who told me they strongly disagreed with me on this, which is great. Um, And I actually don't know that I personally hold this view, but I was just explaining that it's a very common Protestant way of describing preaching to say that the act of preaching is a moment where the Holy Spirit meets you and where you speak like in the words of God, like that come to you and that it is an important moment that's particular and that can't be stored up for later. And I think this is really tied into a pretty deep like Protestant commitment to um, revelation and to God's word breaking in to our reality and that it can't be controlled by humanity, that even the preacher can't control God's word. And so I was just wondering, do you agree that doctor when when (laughs) i mean i think you studied homiletics right like when you're preaching is that the moment where the spirit comes to you or do you think of it differently maybe as the moment that the hearer hears it which may be later so uh this this uh question is one i I can remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who passed away several years ago who did a PhD in church history at Notre Dame. And I said, Hey, what are you studying right now? And he said, well, I'm studying evangelicalism in America and the particularity of the moment. And I said, okay, well that went way over my head. I don't know what you're talking about. And Jeff said, look, evangelicals emphasize moments. They emphasize the moment of salvation the moment of your baptism, there, there's a real particularity to that. And he said, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it's not the whole picture. And so he said, what I'm trying to do is help evangelicalism live into a larger narrative. I definitely can sympathize and, and see this idea of there is something about the preaching moment where you have put all this time and energy and prayer into a, for me, an 18 minute uh, sermon. And there really is something about in the context of a worship service, you're singing together, you're passing the peace, all of these elements come together. 
And there, there's something about that. Um, there's something extremely special about that moment that's unlike other moments. Um, being physically present or even online watching something uh, live happen, there's just something happening there. But also, as far as my own preaching goes, I, I'm a manuscript preacher, so I spend all week studying, writing down a manuscript. Uh, so I bring with me some, I carry with me uh, the sort of this week's work. And, um, and, and that's what I'm presenting. And so I, I also have this understanding of the spirit constantly being beside and around me within that preparation and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I loved the debate, by the way, um, on the podcast of like, uh, I think Jeremy used the, the theological TED Talks idea because that, I mean, so much of what we've emphasized has been on, here's the information that I'm going to give to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to also put in some pithy jokes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and you're really going to, you're, you're going to kind of be entertained while I give you all of this knowledge. Uh, my, my, uh, doctoral work was in preaching and formation and the idea of preaching being an ongoing conversation with the congregation. Um, and, and by that being a conversation, so it's dialogical, it has to include the feedback from the congregation, not just the, the head nods and the amens and the, man, you're just so good at your job. I mean, th those feel great, but the actual pushback and the tensions that can can arise when someone says, I didn't really care for how you said that or what you said, or why did you say it that way? And that dialogue is really important to me. Um, but also my, uh, the person who in many ways taught me preaching said that pastors only have one sermon and they just spend all of their life preaching that one sermon, the, the same uh, different ways. Yeah. That's really faces into the camera. People like can't see lot. your face right now. So what, what's going on, Jeremy? <laughs> that, that emotionally hit me. The, uh, I've got one sermon and I'm going to keep doing my best to get it out. Kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Christ I mean, in him I, crucified. I, was, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this, uh, uh, I, I once asked this person, what is your one sermon? He said, you're in God and you need to know it. And, and that's, that's the same thing he's, he's preaching. So, uh, so go ahead. Matt, with all of that is preaching over a camera to you as a senior pastor, the same as preaching in person. Um, we're going to get into a, a listener question later on this, but you know, do you feel like can what you preach in person be translated through a camera? Obviously, your words can. I think that's part of the debate. Some people are like, you know, I can listen to a sermon on the computer or on a podcast or on my phone or whatever. And it's the same thing as if I was in person. And I think that really comes down to the bigger debate of am I actually listening to a sermon if I'm doing it online or do I have to be in person? And there's a lot of disagreement um, within our listeners and I think within 
the world during this time. And if we shift to this online, well, we have shifted, but if this becomes a main staple of what it, it means to be the church, even after the pandemic, uh, I, I, I at least want people to ask the question and may, I'm sure we don't have all the answers, but is it really the same? I mean, what, what are your thoughts as a senior pastor who preaches every Sunday? Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's really difficult. Well, so preaching to a camera reminds me of preaching in uh, like the, the small preaching chapel in seminary. Yes. Um, even in, even in seminary class, there's a little bit of competition. And so whoever gets up there to preach, there was this sort of expectation of, look, you better be good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you, if you make a corny joke in preaching class, nobody laughs. We're writing, it, we're writing it. We're scratching yep. it out. You know, that's right. In the evaluation. Don't do that again. That's right. Or if you're the person and it was always a guy in mine, we, we had men and women, uh, in seminary, but for whatever reason, it was always a guy who would sing at the end of the sermon, just, just bust into song right at the end. And I always thought that was a pretty bold move. Um, but if you're going to do it, you better be really, really good. Um, so I, I do think the online format, because it's the best thing we have right now, great. Let's use it and, and do that. But let's do it in a mindful way of realizing that it's not the same as embodying the sermon when you are physically present. Even online, there is the, the issues of embodiment. Because if you can actually see the person and not just auditorily listen or not just listening, um, there is something to that. I think about New Testament letters that were written. They weren't just read to the congregation. Amy Jill Levine has this great um, understanding of when you were reading one of the letters or one of the gospels in a church setting, it was also being performed. There were... uh, there was a way in which it was being enacted in that. And so I think it's important we keep that in mind. I think that that can be done to a point online, but it's also it, it also may not have that dialogical element that I think is really important where there's some sort of feedback and not just feedback of, amen, I love it, but the feedback of, hey, uh, that, that disturbed me in some way or the feedback of, man, I would have never thought about that before. Are you getting feedback in like emails that sound like that conversation? I will occasionally get an email. Um, For me, the most beneficial feedback has always been uh, in, in a more uh, uh, unplanned way. Mm -hmm. A handshake in the narthex. Yeah. And, and, and people, the thing that I love about where I serve is that people are really thoughtful. And so they don't just automatically agree with me. Now that also bothers me at times because I'm right, but <laughs> I've never preached anything that I thought was wrong when I preached it. There you go. That's <laughs> I've exactly immediately right. regretted sermons, but I've never preached <laughs> them thinking they were wrong. That's exactly right. And so it's, 
it's one of those things where afterwards, you know, walking by somebody will go, you know, have you thought about this? So I, I preached what I thought was a foolproof sermon. I'm walking to my office. The benediction is, is, isn't even cold yet. And someone says, you know, the year of Jubilee was really important because the king could take whatever the king wanted and there was no way uh, to fight that. And there was no requirement for the king to give you anything for the land that the king took. And while I don't necessarily agree completely with it, I really appreciated the, the willingness to push back and to say, hey, that's not the only perspective on this. Um, and so, and that normally, like I said, happens in just momentary interactions that, that I have with people. In our first episode, we talked about the pressures and feelings of ministers during this time. So as a senior pastor, are you feeling the pull to be super creative and use anything necessary to make things happen? Almost like recreating everything that we did before COVID-19, just with different forms of technology? Yeah. So I would say the first week or two, I felt a lot of pressure that I haven't told anybody about. Uh, during that first week or two, I would walk by Taylor's office and he had completely converted his office into a production <laughs> studio. <laughs> that three on so, the so, so let me, it, I, I don't know if we've made it clear, but Matt and I work together in full disclosure the first thing that popped into my head was under this idea of pressures of, oh my gosh, for a few reasons. And we talked about this last episode. One, I'm going to make sure that in the midst of all of the abnormal stuff going on, the youth and some of my students have more normalcy. So we're going to do our Sunday night stuff at the same time. Sunday school is going to be at the same time, but it's going to be virtually. And then another part as a three on the Enneagram if you're not familiar with Enneagram, go check out uh, Susan Stabile's podcast on the Enneagram. It's great. Uh, as a three who cares about success and appearance, I'm thinking I'm going to do, I'm going to be upfront and I'm going to do as much stuff as possible so that my, I have a secure job if this goes on for the next. <laughs> He's next like, year. I don't want to be the first thing they cut. I want to so. be the last, right? <laughs> I want them to be thinking, oh my gosh, Taylor's working so hard. We got to keep him on. And that's just, I don't think that's the healthiest way of going about doing your job. But so that's probably why, you know, that's what Matt is seeing that first week or two. I'm just rushing. I'm like, I got all these ideas. I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to go, 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 go. Yeah, and seminary taught us that too. It's not just a culture thing. We've, we know that you have to look busy. Um, when, I got, a, well, I was in my extended job search that brought me after seminary trying to find the place to really be as being extra discerning. I don't want a job. I want the place. While I was looking for that, I took an interim position that was part-time, and the dean of the seminary told me, Jeremy, make yourself indispensable. So how many hours are you working? I said, I'm working 20 hours. He said, work 40. Make it so they can't fire you. But you, yeah. you don't want to be working 40 hours and getting paid for 20. You'd want to get fired. <laughs> right? <laughs> Look at that cycle. I know. 
Notice that I don't work there. (laughs) Right. Is such a thing. It is. I mean, and so I, you know, when I saw Taylor just sort of jump into action, I am not a, um, I, I am not a three on the Enneagram. I, I definitely was not jumping in. I, I was more of going, okay, long-term, what's sustainable? What can we actually do? Um, what are the options that are available to us? And um, I probably felt the most pressure in the first few weeks uh, just getting up and preaching because I wasn't sure. And, and there was some feedback from people that I I wasn't smiling enough, um, during my preaching at first. Uh, that's the other thing, by the way, about this whole online thing. I'm glad for those famous preachers and just name whoever that is for you, uh, whose primary means are online. Um, I don't think that was ever my calling. Um, so if I don't smile enough, I do apologize. Um, (laughs) but it was such an interesting, uh, feedback note because we were going through an unprecedented time and people were frightened and they were anxious. And, um, this might be frustrating to hear, but we were getting zero guidance nationally statewide or even in our city and county on what to do. It was just stop. And we didn't know for how long. We didn't know what was uh, what was higher risk, lower risk. We're getting um, differing ideas. Uh, if you go on to social media, everyone's an epidemiologist and uh, they, everybody knows everything about viral infection rates and everything like that. And so I, what I felt was this intense pressure to say something that mattered in that moment. And so I, it wasn't maybe as um, uh, lighthearted at times, and it, and it might have been difficult. But that's where I think I felt the most pressure was to try and speak into um, really a, a once-in-a-lifetime uh, event. Yeah. With your preaching um, and trying to figure out how to navigate that, have you experimented with style or mode, or are you still in the pulpit? Yeah, actually, my I've probably regressed in preaching. Um, so what I would do normally is I get up, I have a manuscript, I've spent a, a significant portion of Saturday evening trying to memorize this manuscript. And then what I would actually do is kind of pace back and forth um, on the the platform. And and so there was some movement and things like that in the sermon. Uh, Now I'm pretty much anchored to the pulpit. And part of that is because I want to make it easier for the camera person. Uh, I've never thought I'd be saying these words. But I want to make it easier for the camera person to be able to 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 put one shot in and, and make it a little bit easier. Um, before I wasn't thinking about the people who are viewing it online. I was thinking primarily about uh, the congregation who is present, and then and that online was the sort of I think to use uh, another word from previous podcast was sort of eavesdropping. Was, was looking in, was watching the service. Um, because I think we've, we've had, you know, here at KBC, 
part of one of the main values of us creating a live stream was for our stay at home members and our members that were physically not able to come to church. Um, but Jordan and I have had some discussions about, well, what's the difference and how's that changed? Um, remind me just a little bit more, Jordan, about that. Well, so I was asking, like, what's the difference between saying there's like part of our community that is homebound. And so we're just like on the side, going to let them eavesdrop through this camera or half of our community is high risk for COVID. So they're going to stay home and they're going to eavesdrop through the camera. And I think what Taylor said in response is like the percentage of people is so much greater um, that it's fundamentally different, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not really satisfied. Like, I, I don't know. Well, I think, I think it goes back to that earlier question of what, what is different. I mean, there are, it, it's different to see the passing of the piece where if we ever do that again, uh, where you actually go and see people shaking hands with one another rather than sort of waving at the camera and nodding to one another. Um, and, and yes, percentage wise, it was a very small amount of people who were watching online. Um, my mom isn't around. So that like the one person who would watch from my family wasn't available. So uh, we couldn't even up our views there. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like there's some things that has changed that, you've appreciated as a senior pastor or that's brought to light something or it has helped you. What am I trying to say here? That's helped you communicate some deep value of what it means to be the church during this time. Yeah. I mean, I go think, ahead. Oh, I think, I, hold on. I think Jordan oh. was going to clarify for me. I was just going to, I think what you're asking is, has this unique situation sort of enabled some values? Yes. Be? Um, lived out in certain ways that we weren't before or highlighted some of those values? Uh, definitely the value of community um, and the the care for, for each other. Um, similar to, I think, what was done uh, by David Gushy's Sunday school class, we've had different people donate money, particularly for, hey, look, we know people are going to lose jobs and we know people are going to have trouble paying bills. And we just want to make sure that there are funds available for those situations. Um, and, and for several people, the, the community bonds were even outside of Kirkwood Baptist Church. They were just, hey, look, if you know of people in the immediate community or your neighborhood, um, when we started calling people as a pastoral staff, one of the questions I asked was, what are the needs? What are the needs in your immediate area where you live? And what are the needs where we are? And we're trying to make sure we have funds available to take care of those needs. Great. All right. So now we're going to move on to some listener questions. Uh, we want to thank you for engaging in some conversations. And we have uh, two questions this episode to engage in. So go ahead, Jeremy, take the first one. All right. Awesome. So we've got a question from a listener named Jim. And uh, we think this is a perfect one to throw at you, Matt. So Jim's asking, he says, quote, how can you effectively preach with no congregation? The (laughs) NFL is considering playing games without a crowd, and I think athletes will perform differently 
when there isn't the energy of a crowd surrounding them. Preaching to a virtual audience has to be similar to this. How do you create energy and bring a well-crafted sermon every Sunday without the congregation, without that feedback there? Well, I, I appreciate the assumption that there's a well-crafted sermon every Sunday. Um, I, I really appreciate that, Jim. Um, it, it is exhausting. I'm more tired at the end of Sunday preaching one service online yes. than I have ever been preaching two services in person. Uh, you bring all the energy and you're expending it and there is no um, feedback in there. But the other thing that I think is a little bit different is that I'm still preaching not to people I don't know, but to the congregation that I do know. And so I know the people that I'm preaching to. Look, if, if anybody wants to jump in on worship and see the well-crafted uh, sermon that's there, great. Uh, but I'm preaching to people I know people I know who have surgeries coming up or who just had grandchildren or who are frustrated because they haven't been able to hold their grandchildren. Um, people have just had babies. So I know the people to whom I'm preaching. And so there is something there, like I was talking about earlier, about relationship that's been built over time that I'm still preaching with those people in mind. I do think as pastors, um, I believe one of you, you called us uh, uh egomaniacs at one point on a podcast. That had to be Jeremy. Uh, I don't know who else. It, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I think that if you're preaching only to the online congregation in the sense of people who might be out there, um, that changes the preaching moment. And uh, our next question is from Paul and Jordan. I think you could answer this one, or at least we can tag team it all together. But Paul said, I was wondering if you guys think there is a difference between a solo Bible study that people do on their own, read their Bible journal, and a solo video worship service where you're participating in worship, but you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's how I would start to think of that question. Um, and you guys can jump in. So I would start to think what is the reason behind these activities that we're doing. So what's the focus? So a solo Bible study, usually when people are doing that, they're either studying in the sense of like trying to get information. So they're studying about like the historical context of scripture or um, certain like textual criticism, like literary criticism of the Bible or, or they're reading a book or something like that. Or it's, more of a spiritual, like individual spiritual experience. So like trying to commune with the spirit or, or reflecting, reflecting in word on um, how I can better myself or something. Right. And those are solo activities, right? Versus a worship service, the not, I don't want to say goal because it's not a goal, but the reason behind these activities is to gather as the kingdom of God, right? To bring the kingdom to earth to be God's people collectively together to worship God as a community. And so I would just think, start to think for this question, like what, what do these different technologies enable or disable for those, not goals, but like those focuses being solo does help you connect inwardly with the spirit, but does it help you worship as the body of Christ? Not as much maybe. 
I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I, I think that it kind of forces it back into the realm of personal devotional activity rather than what we've always designed is a corporate experience. Uh, we gather to worship together. Um, the The opening line of our call to worship at my church is always, come, let us worship together. And I still say that into a camera by myself um, every week. And it's very strange. I have got, like, I've added a liturgical song and dance. This is the day that the Lord has made. Hands come in. They're supposed to say, we all rejoice and be glad in it. My hands go out. And I say, <laughs> with hands up, come let us worship. I've got this liturgical mm. dance to try to connect people to the experience. But still, if you're watching it by yourself, what you're doing is it's kind of something for your, air quotes, quiet time, if we're going back into evangelical world. Now, if you're watching it with your family or you've gathered with some friends, the, the, the experience will change because the technology of community has changed. You're doing a different thing with a different tool. But if you're doing it by yourself, I, I'm going to treat that like a devotional moment. It does seem like even people who do services where there's an interactive component, like if you're on YouTube live and you're commenting in the box, that might be an interaction. But to me, it still feels like I'm doing that for my spiritual edification when I'm watching and interacting. Mm -hmm. Like it automatically feels more devotional just because I am physically alone. For our services, we've added like discussion questions throughout the service and it, it sort of does that. It gives you a chance to engage, but it's still you engaging with yourself based on material consumed. And we have to believe that there's a spiritual element to that. We're experiencing with the spirit. Maybe this is a prayerful engagement with these leading questions. But it's still, you can do that with a Devo book from Lifeway. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our finding hope section. Uh, we this is a time where we bring a thing we are seeing in the world or in our church that gives us hope. Um, so this can be something um, within the church or uh, within the world that we see. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go first, real quick. Uh, I I have found hope this week by talking to my grandfather over the phone. He's been a volunteer police officer for close to 15 years, I think. And now he is a chaplain for the police department in Newport News, Virginia, where I grew up. And I had been talking to him over the phone a little bit about all of the racial uh, inequalities going on, Black Lives Matter, and also uh, policing. There's, you know, a big debate right now about defunding the police and all of that. What was encouraging and hopeful uh, is what he was sharing with me about what the Newport News Police Department is doing is focusing on two big things, uh, community policing, where police officers are spending a lot of intentional time going out within the community and engaging with uh, younger kids in a safe way that doesn't involve crime, but just is going to boys and girls clubs, hanging out, getting to know the people so that they're in a community where they know people and they're not just strangers. And the other thing that he was saying the police chief is doing is getting rid of the blue line, which I had never heard of before, but it's this idea that um, the blue line, you usually don't cross culturally in the police departments where if you see someone else doing something wrong, you just default to that person and you don't call them out for it. But now the police chief is creating a culture where, no, you are um, 
responsible to call out other people for doing things that you think that you see are wrong or don't fit into how we should care for our community. And um, it sounds like to some degree, there's been some good responses towards that. And it was just encouraging to hear um, a story of a department and a chief that is trying to find ways to be really intentional and make some changes. Uh, So that kind of gave me some hope. Jeremy, how about you? Yeah, um, when I, so I've been at my current church for two years and two weeks. And when I started here, I I moved up to a new town, a new church, new community. And I had this idea that I wanted to be like the most connected pastor in the area. I wanted to know all the other ministers in town. And so I started reaching out and you know what? Folks weren't interested uh, in my project, (laughs) really. Um, Nobody has time for that, Jeremy. Exactly. No one had time. to get lunch with a pastor that was moving to the area who wanted to understand what life was like oh, in so the in the county, in this part of the state. Uh, people were too busy. They weren't really interested. But in the past three weeks, I've started calling people again, and folks want to collaborate. People want to talk. People want to listen, um, especially cross racial racial boundaries. And those lines that we've drawn around our churches, black and white churches, I've been able to sit down with a lot of pastors of African-American congregations in my community and listen and learn some of those stories uh, just in the past couple weeks in ways that have not been available previously because our priorities and our schedules were different. Um, So that's, I've been really energized and humbled in the past couple of weeks by that activity. That's great. Matt, how about you? Yeah, I was encouraged this just this last week, I uh, watched a video from an actor who was talking about, he's an African-American actor, talking about issues of race relations. And one of the things that really, that he said brought him hope and in turn brought me hope is he said, he feels like God is somehow in the midst of all that we are seeing. And and what he said, and theologically, I will struggle with this a little bit, but he said, it's almost like God said, we're going to put everything on hold. We're going to pause everything, all the things that kept you busy, like Jeremy said, all the things that you thought you had to do. And, and we're going to make you see these racial inequalities that are happening, these videos that we're seeing. And, um, and maybe for the first time, some of us are really seeing this and and doing something about it. And that's really helpful for me. Jordan? Yeah, so mine's going to be a little short, but um, I want to give a shout out to one of the Sunday school classes here at KBC. Um, I don't know what they're called, but... Um, Nailed it. It's a Sunday school... Sorry? Best shout out ever. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you're awesome. <laughs> well, I don't know their name, but... They invited me to come talk a little bit a few weeks ago about um, they're going through kingdom ethics, actually. Um, And they're talking about sources of moral authority and what to do when we don't trust our sources of moral authority. And I was just so I was I had so much hope after talking to them for a couple of weeks about about those issues and always ending on such a positive note of like inclusion. And we just love to struggle together with these questions um, and nobody can say anything that's so stupid that, you know, that we 
it's not allowed or whatever. So yeah, that was very hopeful for me. That's great. Um, if, if you are listening and there are places where you're seeing hope in the world, we haven't made this plug before, but feel free to write in and let us know or uh, share it with us on Facebook. We would love to hear that. If we agree, we'll share it. If we disagree, we'll call you out for having bad priorities. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeremy, Joran, Matt, this has been great. It's so good to see you again. Um, and thank you so much for uh, another great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Also, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, please, please, please subscribe to our podcast for new episodes. Leave us a comment. Rate us on iTunes. Ratings help us get in front of people. We got three amazing ratings. Um, uh, We would love more. So we need your help in that process. Next week, we're going to be bringing on Ben Garrett from the Innovation Program and Operations Manager of The Hatchery at Emory University Center for Innovation. So we're going to be talking to him about uh, some really cool things on innovation and how we are taking this time and maybe moving forward. So you won't want to miss that. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook to get updates on our upcoming podcasts, extra resources, and some behind the scenes content. Also, if you find, if you have any questions about us, if you like the listener questions and you want to write in, please let us know. You can write your thoughts and questions or concerns to our email address, virtuallychurch at gmail.com. That's virtuallychurch at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week.